Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Jonah was a prophet who had been used by God. In 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 25, there is a reference to a prophecy that Jonah had given to a king, uh, an Israeli king, and said, this is what the Lord wants. And God did great things because Jonah prophesied. But now many years later, probably 10 years later, Jonah is called upon by God to do something unusual. The first prophecy, Jonah had been told to go to the king and say, if you attack the Assyrians who have occupied part of our land, you will win. And the Assyrians were the great force in the world at that day. They, they had conquered most of the world and they'd conquered part of Israel. They were the enemy of God's people. And, um, and even though the Israelis were not serving God fully, God allowed them to push back the Assyrians. But now 10 years later, surprise, surprise. Can you imagine Jonah's surprise when God says, now you must go to the Assyrians and bring them back to God? Wow, it's like a, a brain melter. The first prophecy is we're going to attack and beat the Assyrians, and they're, they're the enemies of God. And now the second prophecy, God says, now go to the Assyrians, the enemy, and bring them back to God. I want to I heal them. I want to forgive them. And Jonah couldn't get his brain around this. He couldn't bring his heart and his mind into line with God's way of thinking. And I find this so encouraging. I don't know about you, but I find myself many times reading God's word or hearing a sermon or sensing from God something that God's heart is saying. And I find my own heart not matching up with God's. Does anyone else find that? And Jonah helps us to move from running in chapter one. Chapter one is running from God. Chapter 2, he's got remorse because there have been negative consequences and he's feeling sorry for himself. Chapter 3, he's religious. He's doing the right thing, but his heart's not really in it. And in chapter 4, there's repentance and he comes back to God. And it's a beautiful picture of how God can bring us from one place to another. But I want to just use three main points today. My first point is God has a purpose. God has a purpose. God is not um, just kind of floating around saying, well, we'll see what happens. Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. God is not like that. God is, is an intentional God. He has a purpose. He gives Jonah an instruction. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's a great city. At the end of the book, the last two verses of the book of Jonah, chapter 4 and the last two verses, God says, I care about this city because there are 120,000 people who can't even tell which is their right or their left hand. They were prosperous. It was the biggest city in the world. They had everything the world said they should have, but in reality, they were clueless. They knew nothing of the afterlife. They knew nothing of God. They knew nothing of the reality of the fact that this life on earth is a very short little span in the midst of a huge eternity. And it's short-sighted to just think of here and now. 
And so God, God said, I care about 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left. And I care about their livestock, he says. The last word in the book of Jonah is the word livestock. Very strange and confusing, but then we understand God cares about cities. He cares about people. He cares about their hearts and their eternal destination, whether they're with him or apart from him. And he cares about the minute details and the practicalities of their lives, even whether their animals are okay. God has a purpose. I just need to tell you that there are two different words in the Bible for God's will. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times have I longed or desired or wanted to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's the word will which means something that God desires, but he's not going to force it to happen. It's his heart's desire, but he's not going to force it to happen. The other word is purpose or counsel, and it means something that God says, I am going to do this. And so every time you read a verse, especially in the New King James Version, which I use, which says the word purpose or counsel, it's usually meaning something that God has decided he will do. Nothing will stop it. But when you read the word will or desire, it usually means something God wants for us, but he won't force it. We have to be willing as well. And so Jesus said, I have willed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. That same word, your will has to be the same as God's for it to happen. And this is the key. When you put yourself in God's hands, when you say, I want to be a Christian, Maybe at a meeting, you put your hand up and you said, God, I want to follow you. Maybe when you were a child, you, you made a commitment to God. Maybe you got baptized, whatever it was. When you put yourself in God's camp, in his hand, you said, God, I want your will. And God says, I love you so much. I care so much about you that now I am actively working to bring about my will. It's almost like his will that he wants, he says, now I'm gonna really make it happen in your life. And Romans 8 verse 28 is the most powerful example of that. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose that thing that he's decided. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God says, if you put yourself in my hand, now I'm gonna work out my purpose in your life. I'm gonna use you for my bigger purpose, which is reaching the world for Christ, and I'm going to make you more and more like Jesus. I'm going to use circumstances to make you more and more and more like Jesus. And so my first point is God has a purpose. My second point is when you put yourself in his hand, he now is going to achieve his purpose in your life. 
And so we see in the book of Jonah, Jonah is God's prophet, but he doesn't understand and he doesn't want to do what God wants. But God says, I love you so much and I love the people of Nineveh so much that I am going to make sure that my purpose is worked out in your life because you signed up for this. You said I'm yours. And the result of that is that there are some Christians who have made a commitment to God and their life did not get better. They look at their non-Christian friends who are sinning and living away from God and their lives are happy and they're just rejoicing. And they look at their own lives and they say, why am I not happy and rejoicing? The reason is because if I put myself in God's hands, but then I run away, this is what's going to happen. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Denial, depression. Have you ever had a depression sleep session where you just can't wake up because the world is just too much there's a storm going on you know you're disobeying God there's a whole lot of problems it's overwhelming and you just sleep the captain came to him and said what do you mean sleeper arise call on your God perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish and they said to one another let's cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us so they cast lots and it turned out Jonah was the reason and they said Jonah tell us what's the cause of this trouble what is your occupation where do you come from what is your country of what people are you and he said to them I'm a Hebrew I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land and the men were afraid of God they didn't know God the the sailors on the ship but they were afraid of God and they said we don't want to harm you Jonah but Jonah said you have to throw me into the sea to stop the storm they tried everything they could to avoid it but eventually he said do it they threw him into the sea and the storm stopped and I want to say sometimes Christian you're in a storm and the reason is as simple as this. You've given your life to God, but now you're running away from God. And he says, I love you too much to let you run into harm and into the devil's playground and eventually away from me. I will even cause a storm to keep you close to me. And then it says that a great fish came and swallowed him up. God will do extraordinary things to keep you in his good, pleasing and perfect will. I wonder if you believe me. You see, the problem is when we're living in this in-between place where we've got one foot in the kingdom of God and we're trying to live away from God, we don't really believe that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. We, we don't think it is. We think Tashish on the west is better than Nineveh on the east. We think that running our own lives our way or the way that the world around us says, that's got to be better. But I want to tell you, God's word says, and I have seen it in my own life and in many other people's lives, God's will, his plan is good, pleasing and perfect. Another word for good is healthy. It's healthy for you. Another word for pleasing is happy. It's a happy life. And another word for perfect 
is best. It's the best possible version of your life that you could have. It may not make sense to you logically. When God says, do this, give this, speak to that person, live in this way, avoid that kind of worldly pleasure, it may not make sense, but I want to tell you, it is the best life you could ever have. It is happy, healthy, and best. If you could look in God's filing cabinet at his blueprint for your life, if you could go up to heaven and look at what he had planned for your life, you would say, looking from heaven's perspective, God, that is the happiest life I could have ever had, the healthiest life I could have ever had, and the best possible version of my life that I could have ever had. And I can't really convince you other than saying I've seen it for myself. But Jonah ran. That was his first response. When the storm came, his second response was remorse. Do you ever do this? It's like a spare tire in the back of your car. We sometimes want God in our lives. We say, God, I want you. God, God, I love you. Come into my life. I put my hand up in a meeting. Come into my life. But then instead of giving him the steering wheel of our car, where we say, God, you, you tell me where to go, we give him the spare wheel and we put him in the boot of the car and we say, only when the whole of my life comes undone will I call on you. And when we get a flat tire, we get the jack out, we lift the car, we call on the spare tire, we put it on, phew, so glad I'm a Christian, and then we forget about him until things go bad again. That's what happened with Jonah in chapter 2. He cried out to the Lord in remorse because of the circumstances. I wonder if you're there today. You may not be a runner anymore. You may have just realized the storm is too much. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to get the spare tire out of the boot. And it says in verse in chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Notice he said God answered him before God had answered him. He was still in the belly of the fish and he said God answered me. That's what Matthew, uh, Mark 11 verse 24 says. When you pray, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then he did another clever thing. He started praying scripture. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. He, he's just quoting psalm after psalm. So when, when he says, I cried because of my affliction and he answered me, he's quoting Psalm 18, verse 6. When he said, out of the belly I cried and you heard my voice, he's quoting Psalm 65, verse 2. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. He's quoting Psalm 42, verse 7. Then he quotes Psalm 31. Then he quotes Psalm 69. He's just quoting scripture and he's thanking God. He's crying out out of remorse. He's doing all the right prayer things. And he gets the result. God saves him. The fish spits him up onto the beach. But his heart is still not with God. If the book of Jonah is an accurate representation of the body of Christ, a quarter of us are running from God's purposes. A quarter of us are praying prayers of desperation, but our heart is still not with God. A quarter of us are religiously doing the right things, but our heart is not with God. And only one quarter of us are actually wanting God's purposes. But let's move on. Chapter 3. So Jonah's been spat up onto the beach. Imagine spending three days in the digestive juices of a big fish. He must stink. He's probably skin bleached and he looks terrible. And he arrives in Nineveh. It's no wonder they repented. Chapter 
Chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He obeyed. He obeyed, but on the inside he was not obeying. Have you ever seen that? I remember when our children were small, we would say to them, do this. And, and one of them would say, um, I'm doing it. So, for instance, we would say, sit down when it was mealtime. Sit down. No, I'm not sitting down. Sit down. No, I'm not sitting down. Sit down. Eventually the child sat down and said, I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm standing up. <laughs> and that's what Jonah did. He obeyed through gritted teeth. Without his heart being in it, he preached the message. And you know what? God graciously saved the Ninevites. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God will use a person whose heart is not right to bring his message and to save other people? I know it is amazing, but then I also know it's not amazing because God uses me and I'm not perfect. And God uses you and you're not perfect and nobody is perfect and God uses us. Amen? God will use anyone. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus said... There'll be people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Do miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I never knew you, but I used you to do the miracles. Isn't that amazing? And the, the, the error that we sometimes fall into is we see results of ministry. We see prayers being answered. We see ministry being fruitful. And we think, oh, I'm with God. But if we're honest, our heart is still not with God. And so we go straight to chapter 4. And the Ninevites have repented. They've said sorry to God. And chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knew that God is kind. And he knew that if he preached to Nineveh, they would repent and be forgiven. And he hated the Ninevites. <laughs> he hated them. And he didn't want them to be forgiven. And so his heart was not with God. So what does God do about this? Jonah's about to say to God, Lord, I want to die. He is so um, kind of willful and rebellious that he says, Lord, I want to die. And God is going to show him through a picture how God feels about the Ninevites. And this is the key, folks. You might be here today. You may not even be a Christian. You may never have asked Jesus into your car, let alone steering wheel or back tire. You just haven't even asked him in. But there are others of us who have asked him in and then we're running away from him or we're remorseful over the consequences or we are religious and going through the motions without the heart being right. But this chapter is the key of how we get back to God. So 
He says, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head. So he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. He's sulking, stamping his little feet, and saying, I want what I want. You see what God did is he used everyday things to show Jonah something of himself. And I think God does this with us. You know, James chapter 1 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above. Everything that is good in your life and mine comes from God. Even when we don't worship him, even when we don't serve him, that relationship that the non-believing person who's in rebellion against God, that relationship of love that they have, that's a gift from God. That lovely meal that they eat, that health that they experience, that pleasure they feel when they're doing exercise, all the good gifts of life are God giving them to us, even as rebellious enemies of him, to show us he loves us, but he wants to woo us to himself. And God gave Jonah this little plant. For you, it might not be a plant. Maybe it's your career. Maybe you just love the fact that you've got a big pension and you've got a secure job and you've got a group of people around you who love you and who respect you. And that's your little plant. And God gave you that plant. But I want to say something a little bit scary. If you are a Christian and you've put your life in God's hands and you've said, God, I am yours. He is so committed to forming Christ in you that if that plant becomes an idol and stops you from worshiping God, he will easily prepare a worm to remove the plant because it's more important that you spend eternity with him than that you have a lovely job here on earth. Amen? And so God shows him this picture, just as a, a picture illustration of how God feels. And then listen to what God says. You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. God's aim is through all the good and the bad in life. If you've put your, your life in his hands, he's working all of that together to form Christ in you and to use you to reach the world, which is his purpose. He loves the Nineveh here where we live, but also the Nineveh over there, the Nineveh on the other side of the world, the Nineveh somewhere else, the enemies, the others. God loves the world and he will form Christ in you and he will use you to reach the world. And we would be wise, I don't know what you think about this, but I think we would be wise to work with God 
rather than against him. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's counsel or purpose that prevails. And that's talking about Christians, people who've put their lives in God's hands. He says, many are the plans in your heart, but because you put yourself in my hand, I'm committed to forming my good, pleasing, and perfect will in your life and in the world around you. And so my challenge to myself and to all of us is let's not be Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3, or most of chapter 4, Let's be Jonah chapter 5, where we see God's heart for the world and for us. We see His good, perfect, and pleasing will, and we say, God, I want to flow with you. I'm sorry for running away. I want your good will for my life and for the world around me. And as we do that, it's amazing. You know, some people say Christians need suffering to become more like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that, but I've heard it said many times, you, you must experience suffering to be made more like Jesus. And I want to say, I don't think that's true. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we would just listen to his word, we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We don't need to suffer. You've got to balance that with the fact that Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. In other words, we live in a fallen world, so just by worshiping God, there are people who are going to be against you and circumstances and a devil and all that. There will be suffering. But it's not God using the suffering to change you. It's because we live in a fallen world. And if we do experience all those different things and God brings a storm or brings a worm or all that different thing, the reason is he loves us so much. Just like I love my child, I will discipline them if they run into the road in front of a car. God says, I love you so much. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. I won't let you run into that relationship that's harmful. You know, my mother was an alcoholic for 30 years of her life. And at the age of 58, she gave her life to Jesus. And she got sober. And she went to AA. And she went through all the 12 steps. And she made amends. And I saw a change. For the first time in her whole life, I saw my mother as a normal person without the bondage of alcohol and it was wonderful the light of Christ was in her life but after she'd been a Christian for about seven months she started drinking again just a little bit and I was worried and I was praying because I knew the power of this thing once it gets a grip on someone it can take them straight down it, it really can destroy a life and I prayed and I said, Lord, please help her. And she got throat cancer and died within a couple of months. Now, many people will say, what a tragedy. She died. I say, what a victory for Christ. He rescued her from alcohol before it destroyed her life. And she is in heaven now. It took her before the alcohol could completely addict her again. 
and she is now rejoicing in heaven and I'll see her and be with her for eternity in heaven as opposed to her having an extra 20 years here on, earth, on this earth and then being far away from the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the book of Jonah and thank you for the lessons that it holds. And thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you are relentless in your pursuit of us that you are relentless in your love for us, that you will not let us harm ourselves and you keep on, keeping on, pulling us back and protecting us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be Jonah chapter 5. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.